The Playful Psychologist podcast is hosted by me, Emily Hanlon, a clinical psychologist who primarily works with children and adolescents. This podcast has been designed to offer support to new psychologists who may feel as though they are drowning in uncertainty. It has also been designed to inform and educate parents and teachers on all things child development. Along with some special guests, I explore different aspects of child development, including developmental disorders and emotional regulation, while also advocating for those who may be falling through the cracks in our current system. This episode is proudly sponsored by Mr. Jones Health. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Playful Psychologist podcast. Today, I really want to chat to you about anxiety. So I know we've chatted about anxiety before, but one of the most common questions I get, especially from parents who come in with their um, younger kids is, can you cure anxiety? So for me, the short answer is no. Now, keep in mind that cured implies that it will never return. And I don't believe a person who experiences anxiety in its true form will ever be absolutely free from anxiety. And What I need to reiterate is, unfortunately, I think the term I am so anxious or my anxiety is through the roof has really clouded our understanding of just how debilitating anxiety can actually be. And again, these really frivolous statements can make it seem as though anxiety is really nothing to worry about, Um, which is unfortunate because those who are actually diagnosed with anxiety or an anxiety related disorder will tell you that they have absolutely come up with ways to manage their anxiety, but their anxiety never really, you know, goes away um, and never fully disappears. It comes and goes in waves depending on our environment and our life circumstances. What I do think, however, is that someone who has anxiety can learn to be better equipped with strategies that work for them and help manage their anxiety so that when it arises in the future, those people are much more aware of what they have to do, therefore reducing the impact that the anxiety has on them in that situation and in their everyday lives. So yeah, I just wanted to reiterate that and talk about that a little bit more. So just to recap, anxiety in my professional opinion cannot be cured, but it can be incredibly well managed. A person that experiences anxiety once is very likely to experience it again later in their life. So again, let's just quickly have a recap on anxiety itself. Anxiety disorders can affect a person's ability to work, study and participate in other activities. Although, you know, recovery um, in a an acute anxiety state is possible with appropriate treatment. There are different types of anxiety disorders and outcomes vary depending on what's going on for you. So these different types of anxiety disorders include OCD, panic disorder, um, agoraphobia, which is fear of going outside, social anxiety disorder, specific phobias, PTSD, generalized anxiety, um, and, you know, lots of lots of different other body related anxieties. And of course, hoarding. Now, like I said previously, people who have anxiety disorders um, describe it as being quite distressing and debilitating. People can worry. And I think in a previous podcast, I talked about the difference between worry and anxiety. You can worry. Where worry turns into anxiety is when it has a serious impact on your day-to-day living, your daily life, your functioning, and so on. So when you have anxiety, um, you know, anxiety can actually contribute to a loss of like educational and employment opportunities and real difficulties in social situations with families, with social relationships, friends, and so on. So anxiety is serious and not something to be taken lightly. Let's now talk about how anxiety can change across a lifespan. 
So obviously there are some anxiety disorders that are more common in childhood and some that are more common in adulthood. Things like phobias are really common in childhood, whereas panic disorder and PTSD may be at their highest prevalence, more so like in adulthood. Um, While worry disorders, such as just generalized anxiety, um, may be most common, you know, across the lifespan. You can have it as a child, you can have it um, as an adult, you can have it when you're a little bit older. So yeah, it's really important to note that there are different types of anxiety and they, you know, for example, a child with separation anxiety at five doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have separation anxiety at 25, but that may, you know, come out as generalized anxiety at 25. If that makes, I hope that makes sense. But anxiety disorders with a strong, um, you know, autonomic nervous system components, such as like a panic attack or panic-like symptoms are usually considered to be more common in childhood or early adulthood than later in life, particularly in regards to like social phobia or panic disorder, if we're looking at that sort of stuff. But it's also important to realize that age-related changes in brain structure or function um, do reduce our propensity for an autonomic response. What that means is as our brain matures, we have less physiological fight or flight responses to harmless stimuli, which therefore reduces the amount of anxiety episodes that we may experience. Again, it may not totally disappear. But from a biological perspective, there are definitely brain changes that may contribute to, you know, how or why we experience different types of anxiety. But although anxiety disorders are probably thought of as like a neurodevelopmental condition, what that means is they develop in the context of brain changes which occur, you know, characteristically across different points in our life. It doesn't mean that they can only begin in childhood. Interestingly, when I was doing research for this, I found out that up to one half of older people with generalized anxiety had onset in later life. They didn't have any anxiety as a child, but they developed it in early adulthood or, you know, just adulthood in general in their 30s. So obviously in this regard for those individuals, there's a very, very, very strong environmental component. And why I'm trying to explain this is, yes, there are genetics. Yes, there are biological issues. Yes, there is environment, but everybody's experience of anxiety is going to be completely different based on their own life circumstances. We can't just, you know, throw everyone in the same bucket. That's why I say that can anxiety be completely cured? I personally don't believe it can, but can everyone's experiences improve and and change over time due to their, you know, circumstances? Yes, absolutely. So while there is research, you know, lots of different research on childhood anxiety and adult anxiety and outcomes and so on, um, what research can actually agree on is that seeking help for your anxiety and learning about effective coping strategies is one of the strongest protective factors against future anxiety related episodes. So what that shows us is that when people with anxiety engage in therapy consistently, future episodes are not as So just to summarize, for me, anxiety is not curable. There are lots of ways to manage it. Getting the right treatment for your anxiety will help you understand your worries better, understand the body changes that occur when anxiety is happening, and will help you control those worries a little bit more effectively in the future so that you can adapt and continue to live a very, very fulfilling life. And there are so many ways to do this. The reason anxiety cannot be cured, like I said, is that a person's tendency towards anxiety is part of their genetic makeup, their environmental factors, biological difficulties. Um, and a lot of those things, anxiety can help, but a lot, sorry, a lot of those things, treatment can help, but a lot of those things like genetics 
treatment will not be able to change. So that's why I personally believe that anxiety cannot be completely cured. But if we're talking about management, there are lots of management options for anxiety. One of my biggest things that I do with any client that presents with anxiety is teach them about anxiety. You know that old saying that like knowledge is power? It absolutely applies here because learning about anxiety is really important in treating anxiety. For example, education and, and just knowledge in general includes learning about the physiological changes to, uh, to your body when anxiety happens. And that in turn can make you more aware of those changes to your body when anxiety may begin to take over. So education is a really important way to promote control over your anxiety symptoms. And when kids for me, present with anxiety, I spend like two sessions going over education and psychoeducation and teaching parents all about what happens. Because you may think you know, but you really need to delve deeper and really explore how anxiety really affects you and what your anxiety is all about. There's also mindfulness options. Obviously, mindfulness guides us to bring our attention back to the present moment and unhook from our negative thoughts that may be a little bit unhelpful or our worried thoughts and so on. So that's really important, as is, you know, relaxation techniques like PMR. So PMR stands for progressive muscle relaxation. Um, There's also breathing techniques. You can use apps such as Calm. All that stuff is really, really helpful. Then you've got therapy. So there's cognitive therapy and behavior therapy or a combination. So if we're looking at cognitive therapy first, cognitive therapy focuses on focuses on changing patterns of thinking and beliefs that are, that are associated with and like trigger your anxiety. So for example, a person with a social phobia may make their anxiety worse um, by having negative thoughts such as everyone thinks I'm boring. So the basis of cognitive therapy is that the beliefs trigger thoughts, which then trigger your feelings and produce behaviors. For example, um, let's say you believe maybe even unconsciously that you must be liked by everyone in order to be worthy in order to feel worthwhile. If someone turns away from you mid-conversation, you may think, well, that person hates me because they turned away from me. I'm not worthwhile, which then makes you feel anxious. What cognitive therapy strategies do is help you with rational self-talk, help you with reality testing, um, attention training, cognitive challenging and cognitive restructuring, all that sort of stuff. So this includes activities like monitoring your self-talk, challenging unhelpful thoughts and fears and beliefs, and really testing out the reality of your negative thoughts to see whether there's, you know, they're valid or whether there's actually any truth to them. Whereas behavior therapy, um, a major component of behavior therapy is like exposure. So exposure therapy involves deliberately confronting your fears in order to just like desensitize yourself um, to certain situations and realize that it wasn't so bad. And what exposure does is it allows you to train yourself to redefine the danger or fear aspect of the situation or trigger to your anxiety. Now, what I do, my area um, of therapy is cognitive behavior therapy. So it's kind of a mix of both. It's a form of talking therapy, which can be used to treat people with a wide range of mental health problems, but we're talking about anxiety here. So we'll focus on that. So in the you know context of anxiety, uh, what CBT does is show us that how we think, so our cognitions, how we feel, so our feelings and emotions, and how we act, our behavior, 
all interact and influence each other. So that's the um, process I personally use. I find it the most effective, but obviously depending on the presentation and the cognitive capacity of some of my little ones, I may not think that, you know, I may decide that CBT isn't overly appropriate. So obviously I like to tailor my therapy based on the presentation, but more often than not, I find myself going down the CBT route. Um, and obviously just some other things that really help with anxiety, sometimes like dietary adjustments, so reducing caffeine or alcohol, um, exercise, because exercise burns up those stress chemicals and can really promote muscle relaxation. Um, and it's just a really helpful way generally for your mental health, but can really help manage anxiety. So it's really important that if you are anxious, um, to try and, you know, engage in some form of physical activity, even if it's a 20 minute walk, like three to four times a week. Um, and obviously vary it a little bit. If you're like me, you can get bored really easily. So varying it just so that you don't become bored and then stop engaging in it all together. Then one thing I'm very passionate about, especially in little ones, is building self-esteem. People with anxiety disorders often have really, really, really low self-esteem. Feeling worthless can make your anxiety worse in so many ways. It can be a real trigger for this like um, style of how you interact with others and how you perceive, how you think others perceive you and that sort of thing. So low self-esteem um, is, is really important and something that absolutely should be addressed by your therapist. Obviously as well, there's um, support groups or there's medication, but you should always consult with a doctor if you are looking at medication. Um, and sleep. So sleep hygiene is so important. The more tired you are, I guarantee you the higher your anxiety is going to be because you're just not well rested and your body doesn't have enough of those like relaxing hormones to manage day-to-day -day stress. Now, We've spoken a little bit about how Mr. Jones Health in the past, um, their supplements have really helped me with my sleep. So these supplements um, don't put me to sleep and I do not want that. I'm not condoning anything putting you to sleep, but they help me get a more restful sleep. Um, you know, I've noticed, I think it's the magnesium ingredient and I really feel like I don't have so much restless leg syndrome. I'm linking my sleep cycles a little bit better and I think that's really important. Plus those Mr. Jones supplements are natural and vegan. So um, you know, they're, they're a lot better for you than some of the other ones that are filled with a little bit of junk on the market. Um, and obviously they have their rise and shine supplement as well, which is in the morning, which kind of just like boosts you in the right direction. It doesn't cure anxiety. It will support you while you're managing your anxiety. So that's what, um, I always really want to stress when you're looking at any form of supplement. You don't need to find something that's going to cure you or fix you. You just need to find something that is going to support you and become a healthy habit, which I firmly believe these Mr. Jones health supplements do. You can check out more about that, um, those supplements that I mentioned though in the episode notes of today's episode though. So yeah, if you're interested, definitely have a look. Now, I hope that was helpful. I, I, this is a topic and a question that I get asked about quite frequently. So I really wanted to share it with you guys. If you have any questions, you can always email me or DM me on my Instagram page at The Playful Psychologist. If you liked this episode, please leave me a review so that I know what content you guys are after. Have a great week and I'll talk to you next week. See ya.